Hello and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your weekend missive from the front line of pop culture. I'm Andrew Harrison. And I'm Sean Pattenden. This week we are thrilled to be joined on the pitch of The Culture Bunker by the only footballer to have named his car after the lead singer of Squishy Politty. We have the legend that is Pat Nevin. Nevin up here. We also welcome <laughs> film critic, podcast host and broadcaster Anna Smith to the show today. And yes, we will certainly be buttering your muffin. We have the new album from Isle of Wight duo Wet Leg. We also watch Best Picture Oscar winner Coda, and we discuss True Things, starring Ruth Wilson and Tom Burke. Plus, King Tut's Marvel Hut, new Marvel series Moon Knight. All this and much more on today's Culture Bunker. Welcome to the Culture Bunker. Let's say hello to our first guest, former winger for Chelsea, Everton, Tranmere Rovers and many more. Pat Nevin is a pundit, writer, broadcaster. In the 1980s, he was referred to as a weirdo by his footballing teammates because he liked indie rock. His favourite <laughs> writer was Albert Camus. He spent his evenings in the Camden Falcon, seeing indie bands, of course, becoming what the enemy called the first post-punk footballer. And now he's written his memoir. Pat Nevin, we're delighted to have you on the show. How are you doing? Um, absolutely fantastically well. Um, actually, wish is a surprise because I was very unwell a couple of days ago. <laughs> so I'm back now and uh, really excited about a lot of things that are going on at the moment and, and did get a chance to uh, catch up while I was not feeling my best on a few movies and things that uh, I was really keen to catch up on and uh, including one uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Excellent. The restorative power of art. Now, if only the <laughs> listeners could see the, the wall in your room, you've got Psycho Candy, Flaming Lips, you've got uh, My Bloody Valentine, you've got Bowie's Heroes. You're basically living in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your, I even liked your Nevin Up Here comment. I thought it. Especially for you. Album. Very good. Uh, no, right. funnily enough, you can see me, and there's a reason for me having uh, album posters in the background. Uh, on this line, I, I often do you know TV, be it you know news in the morning or whatever, and uh, I don't want anyone to watch my face. So I get something <laughs> behind me that they can look at and be interested in. Uh, that's no more reason than that to put them up. As a kid, you were as likely to have a post of Steve Baker on the wall as Celtics winger Jimmy Johnson, who once said, could teenage Pat ever have imagined the, the way that your life has played out? No, and I wouldn't have wanted to. I mean, that is part of the joy of, uh, you know, living. Don't plan everything out. It's nice to have a vague plan about things. But if my plan was basically be happy, and if there's a way to find yourself being happy, then that's good. And if, it, if for me, it didn't involve things like being a famous footballer or working on TV and radio and all that sort of stuff, it just meant doing things that made me happy and others happy around me. And if you can give something back to society, and then that all sounds a bit earnest, I know. But you know I what it sounds like? It sounds like, I play, I play football for myself, but if other people like it, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, well, I play football for the joy of it. That's yeah. pretty close to it. It's for the pure and utter joy of it, and that's why I did it. And that's why that kind of book, the, the first part of the memoirs that I, I put out in about six or seven months ago, um, and that was why I put it out, because people weren't gonna get in where I was coming from. And I'm thinking, I've been doing this for about 30, 40 years now. <laughs> Please understand that it's... I think it's a perfectly normal attitude. So everyone else can call me uh, a weirdo, you know, within the game. But I actually think I've got the more normal attitudes, you know. It's the only way to be. I mean, the book, The Accidental Footballer, A Memoir, it's packed with references to music. All the chapter names are song titles. Kick a conspiracy, obviously, almost mandatory. We believe that you do sometimes challenge yourself to get uh, the obscure obscure reference or a, a song title uh, in when you're commentating. Is this true? 
Absolutely true. Um, and it's bands that I like or song titles. And I mean, I, I once remember during a Scotland international game, I managed to get four camera obscura singles <laughs> in in one sentence. And I was quite pleased with that. But my, my one of the, my favoured ones, most favoured one, was somebody challenged me to get the pains of being pure at heart into a commentary. And I managed to get that into an Arsenal versus a Manchester City commentary <laughs> on Five Live without anybody noticing. And that's the deal of it. So you keep yourself interested. You, you're sending out little messages that some people will and won't get. Like your comment a few moments ago about Nevin up here. You say the thing, it makes perfect sense. But also people go, ah, oh, get that. And it's like if you're reading books or watching movies, there's, you know, there's little kind of nods at the side. Sean, who else have we got on the show? We have the fine Anna Smith. She is a film critic for numerous titles. She's a broadcaster, oft times at the helm of BBC Film Review. She is also the host of the Estimable Girls on Film podcast. Hello, Anna. Hello, lovely to be here again. Fabulous to have you. I believe you've been very busy post-Oscars this week. There has been a lot to talk about, more of which later. But why do they just kick up such a fuss, this simple award ceremony? Well, I think everyone loves to talk about them, certainly in the media. There's there's no shortage of, of, of the phone ringing for me, people asking me to comment on everything that's gone down. I do think they're still struggling to attract younger viewers. And that's kind of been a lot of the topics that people have been talking about this week is like how to engage younger people. Because I think the generation that stayed up to watch it, you know, with parties and friends and some of my friends used to even book hotels to have an Oscar party. <laughs> I, th- I think that generation is getting older and the young ones aren't engaging ah, so much. Right. So there's a push for it as well. We may there's be being marketed at, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've been trying to jazz it up and they, they dropped some of the, the categories or they, they sort of edited down some of the, the more sort of technical categories, which was slightly controversial, but actually the BAFTAs do that already. Mm. But um, but it's interesting because I do a lot of um, commentary around both the BAFTAs and the Oscars. Mm. And this year, there was a lot less interest in the BAFTAs, but the Oscars still seem to have that pull with mm. the broadcasters. And, and you know, it's, there's something about it, isn't there? That people are just curious. It's an event. Yes, absolutely. You can watch it even if you don't want to watch it. One of those things. Um, You held the first ever Girls on Film Awards recently yourself. I presume there were no punch-ups there. But what's your reasoning behind giving of gongs? It was a very nice occasion, I have to say. I mean, I think one um, one journalist said to me, um, on the one hand, the world doesn't need another film award ceremony, but on the other hand, Girls (laughs) on Film does it differently. So well done. And I think that was our goal to do something different, you know, to reward um, some of the women and men Mm -hmm. working in film who sort of represent what we believe and 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 what we love and a big winner was book smart actually it was voted oh. for by um some a lot of our guests female film critics mm-hmm. and um book smart the, the buddy comedy which i'd urge anyone to check out um that was a big winner of the night but we also had um categories for a sort of male allies you know the, the best female ca- character written by a man which went to bo burnham oh, for yes. eighth grade mm-hmm. and we also had the one that everyone wants to know about which was best female orgasm on screen <laughs> who was that <laughs> and who was um, that, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> that was won by um, a film called I'm Your Man, starring Martin Eggert and Dan Stevens. And Dan Stevens plays um, a, a sex bot, really a love bot, who is who is assigned to um, Martin Eggert's um, scientist. And, and she 
she sort of does an experiment. She takes part in an experiment to see whether she can actually fall in love with this humanoid robot. And slight spoiler, there is an orgasm involved. Um, but what we what we wanted to to show with, with that award, really, um, even though it's sort of quite funny, but there is a serious side to it. We wanted to talk about the fact that you so rarely see authentic female orgasms on screen. And often sex scenes are very much shot from the male point of view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women are objects of eroticism rather than realism. Um, so, you know, it, it was about celebrating authentic depictions which aren't sexist basically yeah absolutely well go you i would say yes we'll have what she's having (laughs) before we get started a reminder you can get the culture bunker and all of our shows early and without adverts when you support the bunker on patreon that means daily episodes on science politics pop culture and much much more plus all manner of quality mugs t-shirts and similar just search patreon bunker podcast to find out more Pat Nevin never wanted to be a professional footballer. His future was certain. He'd become a teacher like his brothers, a noble profession. There was only one problem. Pat was really, really good at football. Raised in Glasgow's East End, he loved the game, played for hours and obsessively followed Celtic. But as he grew up, we also now know he loved Joy Division, Simple Minds and listened to John Peel's show religiously. Accidental footballer, recalcitrant winger, eat yourself fitter. Welcome, Pat, once more. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's funny the introductions I get because, you know, I know you've read the book yourself um, and you could have gone a hundred ways, couldn't you? <laughs> I mean, so many different ways and you you don't want to be pigeonholed. But then I was kind of pigeonholed very, very early on and it was so badly done that uh, anything that you say now is perfectly fine. And uh, <laughs> all, all of those intros are fine. All of those comments are fine. You have said you weren't desperate to be a footballer. We know that. You don't like fame. You have a fear of fame. You don't like the concept of selling yourself. And this book was written because it was a reaction to someone asking you to write something that was more of a clickbait piece. Yeah. um, I mean, I've always loved writing anyway. For many years, I've been writing for newspapers and magazines from art and literary things to newspapers to, you know, podcasting. However, um, I was writing for about 13 years for this uh, this column. I was writing for a, a, a website and uh, the new people come in and said, well, what we, we want you to do is basically, we don't want your comments. We want you to go online and basically take everyone else's thoughts and reflect them back at them. And and I, I was like aghast. My chin hit the floor. And I thought that is the, I mean, I don't think of myself as an artist, but how dare you do that to someone who's trying to create something, you know, an, an, an idea, you know, change people's thinking, make people think differently or out of a, a comfort zone that they're used to. But because this big organization wanted to get as many clicks as possible, that's how they do it through, you know, be it Facebook, be it Twitter, be it whatever. I, I was so offended by it, even though as a business thing, I understood it. And it, it just made me angry. It made me so angry by the time I got to the airport, which was about five hours later, because and I had a wait. I had I read ten thousand words I had down for my my book. It was so so annoying. I was so angry. It just flowed out. Um, but the anger dissipated after a while. But mm-hmm. I, I just get a thing. We've got a, a problem. Um, not in the arts partially in the arts that there are certain things that are expected and accepted to do and I find them tiresome so you know if I feel that I am being corralled in a certain area be it work be it the arts be it anything 
I, I just react against it. I, I will rebel to that. And certainly that's what led to me writing this book in the end. <laughs> I will I will bring in the, there was an anecdote that you once left a pre-season game at halftime <laughs> to go to a Cocteau Twins gig. Well, Cocteau Twins are on new order. I can't remember. They were both playing uh, the one night after the other down at the Royal mm. Festival Hall. And instead of playing the second half in a friendly against Brentford, I thought that was a better call. And I would stick by that to this day. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can go and see Brentford any time you like, but you can't go and see the Cocteau Twins. I was playing, um, so maybe you've seen it. (laughs) True, yeah, that is true. I think I went to that gig myself. There is an enormous sense of fairness that permeates your book. You refer to yourself in it as a reasonable chap. You also refer to yourself as Patrick Sensible, which is your punk alter ego, I think. I am very mild-mannered 99.9% of the time. What was the... Point one percent. It's just that unfairness. It's just that, and it usually showed up in the early days when I was playing with, when there was racism around. Um, but you know, anything, you know, homophobia, sexism, anything, religious sectarianism, you name it, anything that's unfair to any group you know, for any other reason than just being a decent person, I just cannot accept it, and it just rails me immediately, and I can't keep myself down and certainly it led to problems you know early in my career and some of them are dealt with in the book um there's all certainly a whole chapter on the problem that racism wasn't even being the problem of racism wasn't even being faced in football when i came down to chelsea and i was staggered by this because i came from glasgow you know i was a student up there i was doing a degree as you mentioned andrew earlier on you know you're more likely to see a steve Biko poster on my wall when i was like 15 than a football player so i can't go down and start playing in the top level of england and ignore this casual racism that's around so i couldn't stop reacting to it all the time now at the time back in the the early 80s mid 80s people thought you were a bit weird talking about it it's hard to explain, particularly to younger people, that you were the, the outsider, you were the, the one who was a troublemaker because you were bringing up this subject that 10,000 other people were singing or shouting. And I just didn't get it. Now, maybe that's my biggest argument, but if you look at the way it is now, the way that that whole problem's been tackled, the tack changed, who's the weirdo now? You know, I mean, really? Who's the weirdo now? So my arguments, okay, it doesn't always work, but my arguments at the time that I was more normal than all of them, they hold out when you you look on and you realise that all those people I was working with were living and had been brought up in this little bubble, and I hadn't. Um, But they don't, can I underline here, I didn't in any way look down on them. I didn't in any way dislike the, the footballers for the way they were. I understood that we were... It was different, not better, just different. Let's get on to music, because I know you like talking about music. I mean, along the way, you make friends with lots of musicians, but also with Tony Wilson. You make friends with John Peel, as we know. What did you get from John Peel? I was wondering whether he was a quasi-father figure to you, actually, at one point. I would say so. He was before I met him. (laughs) He was to many of us, or a a big brother that you really admired, that Mm. sort of thing. Um, because we learned so much out listening to people's show, um, and it's just his voice and his friendliness, and we all got the jokes, etc. Uh, anyone who listened to Peely for all those years, from my times about 77, 78 onwards. But when I met him, it couldn't last that kind of... If you're going to be a friend with someone, you can't be a father figure. It, it needs to be friendship. Mm. And because he, he's such a shy individual, I think that made it much, much easier to... I mean, okay, I was still a bit wow 
<laughs> in his company. But, you know, you can't do that. People get, I know the feeling where someone comes to chat to you and they, and they can't speak to you because they're like, amazed, you know. It, it used to happen to me now and again, right, weirdly. And I would really calm people down and say, look, don't be still, silly. I'm just a bloke, right? I'm just a guy. You know, and lighten people. So I absolutely didn't allow that happen from John to me, me to John, because it wouldn't be an easy friendship then. But I tell you, I just one of the most likable people I've ever come across in my life. Enjoyable company of the deadpan humor. It was just fantastic. And it is the joy of when I was coming down from Glasgow on that train, you know, the first time when I left Glasgow to, or the first time I went down to join Chelsea and sitting on that train and had many things in my head. But one of the things was, I might meet John Peel when I'm down here. <laughs> and, really, and, and those of us of a certain generation know that feeling. Mm. When you go to the smoke, yeah. there are certain people who think, I might meet that person. Now, people maybe a nice. girl, maybe whatever. But for me, it was mostly Peely. I want to just jump in. You did five years mm. at Chelsea in the early 80s, and then you did four at Everton afterwards. I've got to ask you, where was the best place for bands and please say Liverpool? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Afraid not. not. <laughs> um, we, we used to have a big argument. Argument is not the right word. John and I would discuss about Liverpool and Manchester versus Edinburgh and Glasgow. You know, who produced mm-hmm. the most bands? Now, we need to take the Beatles out of this um, because that's just unfair. <laughs> um, so there's lots of good bands in, in those areas. The problem mm-hmm. is all the bands go to London. Everyone goes to London in the end. And if you want to see things and if you're living in a place and you're going to see everything, now it might, it's not just bands. I mean, my next musical I'm going to is next week and it's La Traviata. So, I mean, it's not just bands. It's wider culture. Mm-hmm. That if you want it, London is so hard to beat. Now, that's not to say that there's not brilliant things elsewhere around the country in Glasgow and Liverpool and Manchester, etc. All around the country and you do have to travel to see certain special things. But there's kind of annoyingly no better place, or certainly was in those days, of seeing everything more frequently than in London. So I have to be gruesomely honest about that. Looking back on your time in football, did you ever run into any kindred spirits in various games? The cliche of the footballer in the 1980s was George Benson and steak and chips. And then there's Pat (laughs) Nevin. Did you run into other players who, like, you know, I don't know, had a bit of a thing for, uh, you know, um, abstract jazz or maybe, you know, Northern Soul? Yeah. Um, I always sought those people out. Um, one of my friends, Brian McClare, had a very interesting and unusual taste in music. Not massively far, far away from mine, but an interesting one. Um, Barry Horn, uh, who used to play for Everton, uh, he battered me with indie music. I, I'm not even close. Oh, absolutely. Really? Not even close. We would have arguments off about Cocteau Twins B-sides that we used to... But, <laughs> but I, I think this, this is classic Barry Horn, right? I sent him a text recently, and I said, there's a band that I just found well, a few years ago, three or four years ago. I sent him a text saying, you've got to see that. you got to hear this band. Have you heard of Pink Shine, the Ultra Blast? And his reaction was, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely... John Peel won exactly, and, and I just knew he wasn't faking it either. But you know what, I became very interested in you know over the years because I quite liked jazz. I mean, the only club I've been a member of was Ronnie Scott's when I was down in London. Ronnie was there in those days, you know. So anyone who's got interest in anything out with out with what is you know the obvious mainstream, 
then yeah. I find intriguing. And I, you, you know, it's those people I found. I remember Walter Smith. The, the, the lately, we lost him, um, but he he's a big mm. Cohen Leonard Cohen fan. Yeah. Really, actually, that it makes total it sense <laughs> when you say it. It's like because he's very much in that style, isn't he? It's funny. I don't know about you. Way I, to the world. Every, I don't, everyone listening, I don't know what you think, but see when I meet somebody, I, it's about third question in is so what you're listening to just now, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or what you're reading, right? Mm-hmm. And it is third question. I, I just want to know, and it's you shouldn't be gauging people by it, but I also think it opens you know, things up and tells you something else. And I was, I can tell when we stood up with a journalist that uh, he, he hated me. He couldn't stand me. Just, just hadn't any time. Scottish journalist. Anyway, we were stuck in a plane once sitting beside each other. And uh, he just, because uh, he thought I was, he thought I was faking it, right? He thought I wasn't into the right. literature and the arts and things like that. And he, anyway, we couldn't not speak, right? And he turned around and, and I just said to him, so what are you listening to just now? And he said, Warren Zevlin. And I went, that's unbelievably interesting. I've had a couple of tracks. Tell us about them. Uh, anyway, if you start talking about Warren Zevlin or something, you move on then, don't you? Don't you? you? You start going to Dylan, you go to Ellis. And we had them, and we were friends after that. And that's the difference it can make when you, you talk about these things. And also... I, I, went, I went and learned more. I went and listened to the music a lot more and found out a new artist that I didn't know much about. Pat, who's the best band to party with? Ooh, I am the worst person to ask that question. Really? You like I'm your rubbish. wine? Surely I'm, you've been somewhere with someone. Yeah, I'm rubbish at partying, it has to be said. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I Well, here's, here's a classic line, right? So go all the way back to I was at Everton, I think, or maybe even after that. And it was a gig in Liverpool. And it's Frankie goes to Hollywood in their pomp, right? Where was this gig? It was at the Royal Court. Yeah. I, I was at that was. show. They did three in a row. It was a great show. Carry on. Yeah. So I've got there and Tony Wilson was there, as you'd mentioned before. But so was uh, Bernard Sumner, a singer from New Order. And I'd been a Joy Division New Order fan for all these years. And you would think that is the wow kind of person. So I went down and sat, I was sitting beside him. And we didn't see anything for ages. And then we'd been introduced and I went, um, you got a new album coming out. And he said, oh, don't talk to me about music. Fine. And he said, uh, when's your next game? And I went, don't talk to me about football. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we were kind of classic, you know, you're not partying, you're just having a couple of glasses mm-hmm. of wine and you talk. Mm-hmm. That's more me. In that book, I had lots of stories about various people I've met and, but in actual fact, I took most of them out and just left what I thought were the more representative ones. And there is a lovely story about meeting up with Morrissey and hanging about mm. in his house. Mm. And let's be fair, Shan, that's not exactly partying, is it? Last week. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last record you bought in a record shop? I went up and actually got a vinyl copy of the New Dad single that I bought a while back. And I'd had it online, but I thought, no, you've got to go and buy these things. Um, so I went and got it on vinyl. Um, okay. it, was, it was so hard to get vinyl. I, mean, I, do, I don't just deal in vinyl. I, mm. I'm, I'm online, I'm streaming, I'm, you know, it doesn't really matter. But if a certain specific thing comes that I think, look, I want that, 
So, uh, this, yeah, I've got, I don't recognise you in vinyl. <laughs> well, spoilers for the, We were going to play that later in the show as your recommendation. Oh, but maybe we'll play it now. We've got an extract of it. So here it is. New Dad and what's it called? I don't recognise you. choice of tune for this week but of course we're asking other guest anna smith for her choice too what have you brought in anna well i brought an interesting one for you it's called it hits me from charlotte adjigiri and bolus pupil and it's um i like the lyrics of this it's not so much about the, the the music for me but the lyrics are about the first time you realize that someone found you sexually attractive i think that's really ripe territory and it's really <laughs> fascinating to hear both their stories about this that's a very unfamiliar feeling for me let's have a listen to it <laughs> I just didn't comprehend Until suddenly it hit me Hit me Suddenly It hit me It hit me Yeah Suddenly It hit me Now, would you like us to assign someone to butter your muffin? Excuse me? What? Excuse me? What? Yes, it seems to have happened fast for the Isle of Wight's greatest export since multicoloured sand, wet leg. Rianne Teasdale and Hester Chambers released single Chaise Long in 2021, and they became, yes, the hottest ticket in town. Indeed, when Andrew and I went to see them live, there were about 50% more people than there should have been at an extremely sweaty gig. We're very trendy, Andy and I. Chaise Long was my single of the year last year too, as well. So eagerly awaited debut album Wet Leg is released 8th of April. Can they charm the nation? Let's listen to Angelica as a taster. Now, Pat Nevin, I know that you are down with the kids and you know about wet leg already. Mm-hmm. First off, what do you think their appeal is? 
Well, they tick a lot of boxes for the sort of people who come when I DJ. Um, there's a kind of that lovely kind of indie feel to them. There's a knowingness about the lyrics. Uh, they don't have to have a decent tune as well, or two. But now and again, the little flourishes where they do unexpected things. That's what kind of raises them slightly above it. Certainly the, the sexual content of the lyrics is kind of eyebrow-raising and will intrigue a lot of people as well. But it's all done with brilliant humour and fun is on top of that. So I think they're a band that's... There's no doubt that they have got success ahead. Whether they've got mainstream success ahead is a bigger call and a, a tougher call. There's lots of bands that I've loved, and I'm pretty close to saying I love Wet Leg as well. <laughs> um, but I, I need to go and see them. I'm not seeing them live. They're, they're playing the 17th uh, in Edinburgh. And if I can humanly possibly get up to that, I will be getting up to that. It's such a classic for me. You know, it's almost, mm. you must have known I was coming on and to write, we'll play well. And I did know them before. They knew you were coming on. That's why they released it this time. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's, I would really urge anyone. I mean, the classic way into it is go and have a look at uh, on YouTube uh, a couple of singles and uh, the video. The videos are all right. They're fine. They're fun. Um, but in actual fact, it gives you a real understanding that this is, this is certainly an album that has to be bought and it has to be acquired because it's taken that indie, fervor in a slightly different direction even though there are a lot of good indie bands around at the moment that are are in that area it's certainly one of the best Anna Smith did you manage to give any of this a listen? I did indeed I've been enjoying listening and of course you know I I welcome a female fronted band and I thought it was very playful I thought the lyrics were really fun and interesting and of course you know being a film critic I enjoyed the film references Um, there's obviously a a Mean (laughs) Girls reference um, that you referred to about the buttering the muffin Um, but there's also um, a line about um, Buffalo 66 quite an obscure 98 film um, Mm -hmm. with Vincent Gallo Christina Ricci which I thought was quite artfully woven into the the, the story of, of wet dream um, and that, that that's probably one of my favorite tracks um yeah i think they're a band that i if i if they were playing at a festival i was going to i would definitely want to see them because i think they strike me as a band that would be fun to see live with your friends because the humor is quite distinct and in the, and i i read that they actually became um musicians because mainly they wanted to get into festivals free and i was i respect <laughs> that that's the kind yeah. of thing i would have done at their age yeah that's basically so why we became journalists isn't it sean to get into stuff for free there's no money in it it's never the magnus is it <laughs> well no one's mentioned the b word andrew the breeders the breeders yeah <laughs> uh, but of course because i'm very modern sean i just don't classify women as being all the same in bands you see haha because i'm so modern no i mean I just, the great thing about this record is it yeah. is tremendous fun it mm. is everything you like about indie rock minus <laughs> some of the things that you don't perhaps so, you know the occasional it can be a little bit sort of eat your greens and it can be a little bit cold and distant sometimes this is a band who are having a fantastic time all the time you can it, you get the real sense that they kind of know it's going to happen for them and they're going to make every effort to wring every drop of fun and amusement out of it they are extremely funny they are extremely self-deprecating the humor is great mm. you know there's a brilliant track called oh no which is just a, a list of dismal annoyances that uh, sort of uh, flap around them like a flock of accursed bats but delivered with a very very dry uh, deadpan sense of humor there's a track about um, a not very successful romantic um, arrangement <laughs> called piece of shit Every now and then, a band turns up that large numbers of people can pour their directionless excitement and enthusiasm into. Mm. Uh, they become really good avatars for an audience. And I think Wet Leg are like that. The reason why I still listen to a lot of this music and you know, other types of music as well 
is it the homogenization, if if that is a word, of um, music at the moment is terrifying. I, I find it horrendous. You know, the, the amounts of bands that sound very, 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 very similar and coming from a, a very, very distinct and one-dimensional area. I, I, I mean, maybe it has always been the case with daytime radio, um, but I find it it's really, really hard to get large sales. And it's maybe because of the modern way that um, music is sold, you know, through streaming services, through Spotify. Yeah, it's all there, but it's only very, very few that are actually getting listened to. So I, I just kind of hope that bands, you know, like them will push a little bit more and there might be some one day, I don't know what kind of music it'll be, but there will be another punk, there will be another revival of something else that has, you know, some traction. Because everything gets forced through the streaming services, you, you don't get a chance to establish your identity as human beings, which Wet Leg have somehow managed to do. <laughs> they are three-dimensional characters. And Sean and I, with a long and ancient background in the pop mags years ago, imagine what we could have done with these two, either on Smash Hits or in Select. They would have been straight in, wouldn't they? We, we would have loved them because yeah. they've got character, they look brilliant, they're funny, they take the piss out of themselves and everything around them. And you sort of feel like you're going on a on an adventure with them, don't you? It's very much when music feels part of a club. Yeah. It's the St. Etienne lyric, isn't it? Join our club. You want to be part of something, not shown something. And this is what they do. I also think they're interesting, and I think they really are in counterpoint to idols or sleeve of mods. Whom as you know I love the mods, but they are absolutely we are going to have fun. We are political in the sense that this is what we want to do. So it's not overt. There's something very much that we do need to abandon ourselves, especially after past couple of years and escape into something and they provide that so well i think they also named their um <laughs> they found their name by just comparing different emojis together wet leg just happened because of emojis <laughs> and things like that it's like what <laughs> it's a wonderful way to get a band name together it's just to play about a bit are you just about to say there's a bowie lift at some point because there's a that's what you were going to say, isn't it? It's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> you 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 tell the listeners, Pat. Well, no, that's just a track on it. it was, to be honest, it, it, I, it was the last one I listened to. I was <clears throat> I was doing some work this morning. And I just had it in the background. My favourite way of listening to music is in just when I'm doing something else, and it washes off over me two or three times, and I'm just thinking that's bowie track. But then they don't, and, and it's an early one. You'll remember which one it it's was. It's man who sold the world. And then, then they don't run with it. Yeah. They just use it, and then they don't run with it. And it's a lovely moment of, God, that could be stolen. No, no, it's just a little reference. Yeah. We're moving on here. And it was, it was, a, it was a really, really nice knowing moment. Uh, and it's, and apart from that, it's a very good track as well. And I would like seen... to concur that this is great music. I clean the airing cupboard out to it. <laughs> Bleeding went... edge of rock and roll there. So Pat's obviously doing whatever, I don't know, making a cup of tea with all in the background. I'm cleaning an airing cupboard. It's music to do really dull things to. <laughs> well, sadly, I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, to, to quote a spook school's track, I was doing manual accounts. Right. What is that? Not. <laughs> Got to be done. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be done. And I think they would love to know that you were doing your yeah. accounts for their album. I think we need to tell them. <laughs> Anna, is this sad music for party people? I think it's more joyous than that, don't you? It is. Yeah, that, that wouldn't sell it to me, but I really did enjoy it. I think it's party music for party people, personally. Mm. I mean, I was actually having a shower when I listened to it, so not very exciting, but I would definitely party to this yeah. in, in a field surrounded with friends. Yeah, absolutely. I think we would very much recommend this record. I think so. And I actually don't think you even need to recommend it because it's going to be inescapable this year, I think, this record. It will be around a lot. You are right. Hooray for wet leg. 
Right, let's have some film talk. If not for some actor slapping some comedian, <laughs> the talk of the Oscars would have been Sean Hedder's family comedy Coda, winner of three statuettes, including Best Picture. As you probably know, it stands for Child of Deaf Adults and is notable not just for its use of many deaf actors, including Marley Matlin, former Academy Award winner, but also because it was released to stream through Apple TV Plus rather than through cinemas. We thought it was worth revisiting because it's just won all the awards. Also, <laughs> Anna is going to alert us to new movies, including drama True Things, in which Ruth Wilson tries to escape a dead-end life with an erotically charged relationship with a newly released prisoner. Here's tasters of Coda and then True Things. I want to do this. There are plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? required to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. I've never done anything without my family before. Have a girlfriend. They're interrogating me. How come you're always like this? Like what? So you're gonna rescue him, are you? You need to find your tribe. You're my tribe. I thought you might have called. I've been busy. You just disappeared. What's wrong with you? I think men find you difficult. That's what? what? Susan. No, it's important she knows these things. She's all on her own. We're calling you. I wish we could stay there this forever. Let's start with Coda. Anna, first, give us the scale of the achievement here for an Apple movie, not necessarily the thing that you would consider to be the shoe-in for the Oscars. You know, even in this strange situation where, like, it appeared not to be able to get conventional distribution. How big a deal is Coda winning big? It's extraordinary. I'm not sure that it failed to get conventional distribution. It did come in some cinemas, but... In terms of record breaking, it's it's amazing because it's the first streamer to win Best Picture. Netflix has certainly tried and tried very hard this year, and and everyone thought a lot of people thought that The Power mm. of the Dog was going to take it for Netflix, but Coda swept in there. It's a feel good film, and I think that's often what does win the Best Picture Oscar. It's not necessarily the most technically brilliant film, but it's one that is a crowd pleaser. Um, so it was always my number two. I always thought, okay, if if anything's going to swipe it from the power of the dog, it's going to be Coda, and I'm delighted for it. Actually, I mean, I've I've done a lot of interviews with the cast. I think I've spoken to the star Amelia Jones four times now, and they they're all absolutely lovely, and they made this film with so much passion. I was absolutely delighted to see their smiling faces on stage on Oscar night. Mm -hmm. 
Give us the setup for listeners who may not be following it closely enough. What's happening here? What are we getting? So it's about a young teenage girl who um, she loves to sing. Everyone else in her family is deaf, her parents and her brother, and they work on a fishing boat. So her time is often spent helping them on the fishing boat when she's not at school and singing when she is at school. It's her sec- it's sort of her secret passion. And there becomes a bit of a conflict with her family. This is a passion which they obviously in some ways find, find hard to understand. So it's about her pursuing her dreams and um, there's a romance in there um but what stops it i think being completely schmaltzy or some people may disagree is a, a sort of spiky sense of humor that her parents um are are brilliantly played by marley matlin and troy kutzer and they 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 obviously have a very um happy sex life which is referred to several times in a, a noisy in a, sex life a noisy sex yes. life in a comedic fashion um so they're 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 great um humorous couple and um obviously you know one thing that's very good about about this is that they're both played by genuinely deaf actors as it as a, as is their son so um it, it's a great film in terms of representation um it's very inclusive but it's also just really fun i'd say it's kind of like glee sort of vibe you know that kind of uplifting vibe I actually found it a bit more gritty than that because I, f- I found the Glee view of the world just a little bit too sac- saccharine. What I liked about this is that the family are really, f- you know, funny and crude and the jokes are filthy and, you know, there's nobody twinkles at anybody else. There's quite a lot of abrasiveness within the family. We also learn the sign language for twat waffle. It's got a lot of good swearing in there. In some respects, it is a con- conventional I must follow my dream story particularly through the, the kind of agency of the, the singing teacher, Mr. Villalobos, who kind of liberates Ruby's talents and kind of encourages to be herself. Do you think it kind of has made that sort of conventional I must be me journey into something new here? I think in terms of its subject matter, definitely, because we haven't seen enough films about people with disabilities full stop, but certainly in this genre, very few. And although they're not at the centre of the story, they're very much a big, big part of the story. Um, and then as you say, the humour is just a little bit sort of more adult, let's say, um, than, than other kind of, yeah, follow your dreams, uplifting, um, heartwarming stories. So I think that gives it enough edge um, to make it a bit different. There's actually quite a lot going on in this in this film it's um there are a lot of of subplots and a lot of characters so it is actually hard to categorize it in one genre and that's another thing i liked about it pat what did you reckon it's the first time for quite a long time that the film that i wanted to win the oscar won the oscar um i was absolutely delighted with the film i thought it was fantastic um beforehand you know a lot of people loved what belfast had done you know so but that wasn't quite gritty realism it was lovely but I thought there was a real realism about the way this was filmed. And my heart sunk slightly before seeing it because there have been a number of movies that have been made and there's a big play on the the deaf actors or whatever. And you think, wait a minute, are you ticking a box? No, you're not. It's brilliant. The, The performances are staggering. It's not fitted in there, you know, to get the violins out. It's just a real, honest, brilliant story. Um, and yes, on quite a few occasions, yeah, there are a couple of set pieces where you think, okay, you've, I know where you've got that by, that's Stand By Me or whatever. You know, can see where you're, you're bringing that from. You know, I, I get it. But in reality, they always stayed absolutely the right side of modelling. And I'm going to give you a, an absolute stunning thing. I had to stop it at one point because I thought I was going to cry. And really? Oh, you... And it's true. Big softy. I know, and I don't do that. And, me, and also, a song that I wouldn't particularly like, that tells you where it had got to. And I, I thought <laughs> it was absolutely beautifully 
done from start to finish. Um, and I, I, I really do hope that, you know, in, in the midst of blockbusters and so much of Hollywood being taken over by, you know, these mass Marvel whatever creations that we've got, which some of those things tiresome unless they've got some deep irony in there, which some of them do have, of course. But something like this is, is my idea of a dream film. I thought it was fabulous. The setting of Gloucester, Massachusetts, it's not just a deaf family, it's a working class deaf family. And that kind of, you know, you're out in the sticks, it's, it's, uh, you're out by the sea, it's cold, it's an unforgiving environment. Part of it actually put me in mind of, of, of films like Local Hero and Comfort and Joy or even Gregory's Girl, you know, where it's like big things are happening in lives nobody ever pays attention to. And that's as important as something happening in New York City. I thought it had a similar flavour to that. Do you know what I mean? That's high praise. But yeah, I can see that. If you take it to any part of the world, you mean, I'm thinking of other things. Fargo, you know, something yeah. in a weird place, you know, you, you look at that and say, okay, stick it there. Give us the humour as well. Give us the oddities and the unusual attitudes that people have got in that place. And by the way, don't laugh at them for having them. And then you see the purity of it coming through. And people do warm to it because... We've had plenty of car chases. We've had lots of helicopters blown up. You know, it's it's hard to make them any better. You know, they've been done. And uh, certainly, I would agree with you there that we've, we've, we we are looking at an area that well, certainly it deserves to be pushed a little bit further. There are plenty of movies out there. I mean, spend a bit of time watching French cinema. Don't worry. There's lots there. <laughs> it has to have a heart and soul as well. Yeah. And uh, certainly, I, I, do you know my biggest disappointment? I didn't get it and to see it in any of my two favourite cinemas because I love Well, this is it, actually. They, that, it's a very funny film and actually watching it just in your living room with two of you is not the same experience as being in a room with 300 people all laughing at great humorous situations. That was a, a, a tiny disappointment for me as well. Yeah, that, that was it. I mean, I, and you almost you want the, the precise ones are great. Uh, the Dominion and Edinburgh are a great one to see it. But I, I'm a member of the, the Curzon down in, in London, so I... I Use the Mayfair one or whatever one down there are absolutely brilliant places because you're surrounded by cinephiles. And yes. It's just the right place to see it. To my horror, lead actor Amelia Jones is the daughter of Arla Jones, which is wrong because Arla Jones is 13 years old. We all know this. <laughs> He's almost been 13 years old. Sean, what did you think? Oh, God, I'm going to rain on the parade here. Um, <laughs> I found it so schmaltzy. I you found heartless that- person. I am. I know. I'm made of stone. Um, it's difficult because there are elements about it that I really liked. I really liked the fact that when they were arguing, the arguments were silent within the family, but there was intensity and there was passion. I've never seen that on screen before because obviously if you're dealing as a child with deaf parents, arguments are going to be different, but the language is very graphic because we have subtitles. The feelings have run very, very high. And there were things like that I thought were incredible, but I thought they were tacked on to what was such a Hollywood sort of template in that find your dream, find your voice, quite literally. Um, and I, it didn't work for me. There wasn't enough um, hard edges for it. I didn't quite buy the mum role. I think she was written out. It seemed like here's this really amazing, interesting mum. They can have this mother-daughter relationship that really goes in quite deep. But she then becomes magic pixie mum and just goes, well, yeah, actually follow your dream because it has been difficult for me and it's difficult for you. And it just got Hollywoodized for me. Anna, tell us about True Things, the new Ruth Wilson movie. 
So this is directed by Harry Woodliffe, who's a brilliant um, female British director um, who made a film Only You with Josh O'Connor. Um, this is her next film. And Ruth Wilson is uh, also producing as well as starring. And she plays a girl called Kate who lives um, in a small seaside town in Britain, has a bit of a boring job at the local job centre. And in walks a guy we only know as Blonde, played by Tom Burke, um, who is is an ex-con who kind of sweeps her off her feet. And they have a very an- enigmatic relationship and the film stays very close to her and her point of view as she has this uncertain relationship and doesn't really know where she stands it's very much a character-driven piece is it good did you enjoy it? I love it. Yes, I absolutely love this mm. film. I think it's got an intensity which draws you in and you're just hanging on every word and every moment. It's beautifully filmed. Ruth Wilson puts in tremendous performance. And I think it's thought-provoking as well. I mean, certainly um, I found it so. And I know a lot of other women um, that have seen it have found it thought-provoking because it ponders on relationships that may or may not be toxic. And it kind of explores um, the situation that many of us, whatever gender find ourselves in when we're younger especially will they phone you know are they going to text um do they like me how should I behave when I'm with them all that kind of uncertainty around relationships I thought it was it was palpable and and there's there's also kind of a sense of mystery about it even though it's not a thriller it feels like it could turn into a thriller at any Mm. moment which I found really engaging Ruth Wilson is Fantastic in general, as we know. And this has got uh, Tom Burke, a.k.a. Cormer and Strike from the J.K. Rowling books. How are those performances? Because Ruth Wilson is kind of shaping up as our great actress of the next 10, 20 years, isn't she? I agree. She's fantastic. Um, She's brilliant in in this. And I think she, again, I've interviewed her a few times for this, and um, she brought a lot of herself to the role. And I think Mm. it's quite a raw and honest performance. Um, And she and Harry worked very closely together to make sure that this feels like a real woman you know you watch this and you think if it doesn't remind you of you it reminds you of somebody you know someone who actually has lots of contradictions someone who doesn't follow some kind of cookie cutter character that you see in other films she's brilliant Tom Burke I really works for this at first I wasn't sure because I don't find him particularly attractive myself and I thought oh maybe we're supposed to find his character attractive but I'm not sure that we are I think Mm. we're meant to sort of be with her in 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 being unsure about the whole thing um but also fascinated by him as she is just as a as an enigmatic character so i think they're they're very good sean what did you think i really loved this film Uh um i knew that because anna had prefaced it with well not everybody likes this film i really want to talk about it i thought oh my god okay so i won't be reviews i will i will see it and i had wanted to see it for a long time so i was really pleased to be able to do so this week And I thought uncertainty and ambiguity are two words that Anna has just used. That idea of relationships that's very, very hard to put on screen, where there is a chemistry, but nobody really understands either what's going to happen or what's actually going on. Um, I thought it was beautifully done. You can tell it's directed by a woman. It is. There is no way that Ruth Wilson in any way is objectified, and she could have been if it had dealt with difficulty, because it's an erotic film as well. Yes, it's got all these steamy scenes, but... It was, it's just so compelling. And I think as well, seeing someone who is not a young woman on, on screen making bad choices. And usually people who are older than 25 on screen have got kids and they're married and they do something, you know, they make one bad decision or something. This is about someone who makes a series of bad decisions, but isn't a bad person. And she is lost. 
and yet you want to be lost with her. You see that she's she needs freedom and stuff. And I think as a character, she's absolutely fascinating. I really, really love this film. And I was so glad that Anna said, can we do it? And to the people that I then went back and read those reviews, a bit like, well, I think this falls flat on its face. Uh, they were all white men. Sorry, just saying. <laughs> I'm so thrilled you think that, that Sean, and I, and I totally agree. I think some people just haven't got it. You know, um, but it, but yeah, and that's I, fine, yeah. and it's okay not to get it. But I really got it, so I just, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that you are flying the flag for this. So that's Sean's feel bad hit of the summer there. Anna, before we move on, what is coming up in the near future that we should be looking out for? Can I get a little plug in before I do that and just Go say on. that I've got an interview with, with Ruth and Harry on, on the next episode of Girls on Film, which comes out on Tuesday. So if you want to find out more about True Things, yeah. you can do that. Um, there's a great um, film called Marina as well, which is out um, very soon. And that's that's a beautiful kind of um, another female directed film set uh, on a, a Croatian island. So I would say that's, that's a good one to look out for. And I'm very very excited about the new Nicolas Cage film, which I haven't seen yet, um, which looks completely bonkers. So, yeah. And, and, and of course, you know, later in the year, there's Top Gun Maverick, which everyone's already getting very excited about and has been, which has been put, put back and put back and put back. But it is going to be finally coming out in the summer. So that's exciting. Finally, it wouldn't be a culture bunker if we didn't jump on the latest Marvel thing. Pat is excused from this. In the new Disney plus six-parter <laughs> Moon Knight, Oscar Isaac plays a gift shop worker in the British Museum who keeps experiencing strange gaps in his memory, strange dreams, strange voices. He keeps snapping back to consciousness in strange places with no idea how he got there. Is all this stuff really happening to him? Is he really who he thinks he is? And why is he being pursued by a giant bird skeleton and the voice of F. Murray Abram? Nerds like me know the answer to this, of course, but what about the general public? Here is a taster. Yeah. Oh my god, you're alive. What's wrong with you, Mark? Why did you call me Mark? It must be very difficult. The voice in your head. Shut up! There's chaos in you. Embrace the chaos. Anna, this is coming off the back of mostly successful Marvel TV series. Loki and WandaVision were both great. Falcon and Winter Soldier, probably a bit less so. What is happening in Moon Knight? Well, this is another mysterious TV series, um, and I found it quite intriguing. So the, the situation is is that he's keep he's he kind of keeps falling asleep and then losing his memory of what happened in the night. He has to chain himself to his bed. He has these blackouts. So he seems like a mild-mannered gift shop worker, as you said. But actually, <laughs> clearly, something else is going on, something that may well be supernatural in nature, perhaps even superhuman. I mean, this being Marvel, that's not too much of a giveaway. Um, I think the first episode, which I've watched, doesn't give too much away, but obviously people who've read the comic books will, will know more um, that, you know, that his character has many layers. Let's put it that way. Um, but the first episode is kind of an introduction to the, the mild mannered clock, Kent almost kind of character. Um, and I found it quite intriguing. It's definitely something that I would watch again and I, and I would like to see how it pans out. And I thought Oscar Isaac was terrific in this. 
Yeah. I mean, he does spend a lot of episode one in a kind of Dick Van Dyke cockney accent. The kind of setup with this is not much of a spoiler that like, what Moon Knight does is it takes the idea of superhero secret identity and plays it out into the idea of well, what if you really did have multiple identities? What if you were suffering effectively, effectively from a kind of associative personality disorder? That that the idea that you don't just have the secret you that goes out and uh, fights crime, but that actually your your psyche is kind of breaking apart to the extent that you're not really the master of yourself. I think that's what's interesting about it is that it's going to hopefully go on to explore that in much more detail. So it is, I, I'm always a big fan of superhero movies that actually take time with characters. And then, and this, of course, being a series, will have the time to do that and explore his psyche a lot more. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that all pans out. Oscar Isaac, I mean... Ever since Patrick Stewart, Marvel's had a fantastic track record of getting actual proper five-star acting talent and putting them in roles that maybe before the Marvel thing happened, they would have seen as beneath them. Um, a lot of the good ones have been taken. Uh, Oscar's now got quite a minor character. I mean, I know who Moon Knight is, but most people won't. How does he work with this role? You know, because he's got such a fantastic CV now. Everything from, you know, Dune to, uh, you know, Inside Lewin Davis. I think he's a tremendous actor. And I think, um, actually, I thought his accent wasn't bad. And I'm normally really sensitive yeah. about um, <laughs> Americans doing British accents or English accents. But I thought it wasn't bad. Um, and I, and clearly we're going to see other accents from him later in the series. And I thought it was a very different role for him, actually, because he, he, this sort of geeky British guy uh, is quite far removed from anything I've seen him do before. And it shows his versatility. But obviously, he's got the chops, as we well know from things like Dune to handle the, the more epic action side that is no, no doubt going to come more and more into the show. So I think he's a great choice for this. You know, I although initially I thought it's a bit unfair on all the geeky English actors, you know, it would have been great if one of those could have got this. But he is a big name and he is, yeah, he's a terrific actor. Well, the, the character that he's playing in the comics, the Stephen Grant character is actually a billionaire rather than like some poor guy who stacks shells in the British Museum. And it's never quite clear if he is a real person or not, or whether he's just an artefact of this 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 fractured personality. I don't think that counts as a spoiler because we don't know how the how the, uh, the TV series is going to play out. Sean, what did you think? You're my weather vane for general public Marvel watcher. What did you think? Well, it, I mean, I can play Marvel bingo on this quite well. Alternative universes, tick. <laughs> Different personalities, tick. Baddie, tick. Amulet you know spews blood tick that's my problem is that i don't know anything about this character i don't know the origin story you know i don't know where he fits in with the marvel cinematic universe so i find him very difficult to place i don't know oscar isaac very well as an actor and i did think i think it's interesting you saying about could have you got to got someone from blighty to do it i was wondering i was trying to write a list timothy spall Maybe. <laughs> no, I'd love it. to see Timothy Spall in a Marvel role. I'm well, not sure that a uh, punching and fighting action role is I think that is, would be is. absolutely fantastic, don't you? Jude Law, Ben Wisher, obviously my husband could have done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it didn't, yeah, it didn't quite sell it for me. It's terribly kiddie, Andrew. Is that awful of me to say? There's something about it and that's not to diss it. But it is a bit like, well, there's bad and evil, and he doesn't know what, which one he is. I couldn't see anything else to it, but I only saw uh, episode one because that's the only one that's out. Well, I mean, I was surprised at how funny it was and how much mm. slapstick, and, and, and not and not in a childish way, but in the in the kind of sense that the whole Moon Knight story really is that the kind of childish dream of power fantasy of being a superhero would actually be a, a nightmare. Your life would be mm. a wreck, and you wouldn't even know who you were anymore. Yeah. And I think Oscar Isaac is fantastic at telegraphing that idea that you've only got a kind of tenuous grip on who you are and 
probably the very last thing you need is to put on a superhero outfit and fall into a kind of, uh, you know, mystical stroke war of good and evil world. That's not going to be good for your mental health, as they say. There is a mental health consultant on this show and a Judaism (laughs) consultant, Moon Knight being one of the the few uh, Jewish characters in the superhero universe. There isn't an Egyptology correspondent, though, which has surprised me a little bit because... I think you do sort of slightly run the risk because the entire the, the framework around the entire thing is Egyptian gods, Egyptian mythology, mm. the underworld, Anubis. Uh, there's a you'll see in the opening episode a one episode monster very much comes from from that world. I think there's a risk there that uh, you could run into the uh, cultural appropriation criticism. I was convinced. I mean, I already knew the character, and I have, I have quite a great fondness for the character because. In a world of omnipotent people, here's a guy whose mind is falling to pieces, and you kind of fit, you kind of feel a, uh, a, an element of sympathy and even, maybe even connection to him. I don't know. I thought it was quite a, a good rendering of this character, quite an interesting. You know, now that Marvel has got to has got to keep changing up, got to move it forward. I wanted to ask you, Anna. I mean, you know, the Marvel universe is now so huge. There's never really been a situation where a huge multi-billion dollar setup like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been at this crossroads. There's now 35 films and shows. They're at a point where they, you know, they've lost some of the huge ensemble cast. Robert Downey Jr. is not doing it anymore. Chris Evans's arc has ended. Are they going about it the right way with these kind of things like Loki, WandaVision, and we'll, pro- we'll see probably Moon Knight where they stretch the idea of the superhero story into strange new places? I think it just depends how well it's done. And so far, so good. I mean, we'll see how this one goes. But as you said, the other ones are really strong. I think some of the films, particularly the ones that uh, are done with Marvel with Sony distribution, have not been as strong. For example, Morbius, um, which is coming out, which is out now. um, I wasn't as wowed by that one. That's a Jared Jared Leto superhero film. So I think um, on the big screen, I would sometimes say that, it, yes, they, they, they've dug around, found something relatively obscure and spun it out in a movie that doesn't need to exist. But I think this one has potentially got legs. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me, Angela Barnes wherever you get your podcasts Finally, as regular listeners know we always ask our guests to bring in their favourite song of all time to add to our playlist sometimes we can clear them but not very often in this case we can't but they all go onto our rolling playlist and Pat could not make his mind up and has given us a creme de classic indie <laughs> set list here. And I'm going to ask for a quick reaction to each of the five songs, Pat, that you've chosen. <laughs> Track one, My Bloody Valentine, Only Shallow. Oh, just the noise is beautiful and it's discordant and it's fabulous and it never ages. Camera Obscura, 80s fan. Tracy Ann Campbell is as good a songwriter as Benny and Bjorn. Cocteau Twins, Musette and Drums. Uh, if love was music, this is what it would sound like. 
Okay. Joy Division, Decades. This should have been Verdi, not Joy Division. It is that beautiful <laughs> and that classical. And finally, The Go-Betweens, Bye Bye Pride. Hey, pop music is done. Pop music's not a dirty word. When you do it right, it's fabulous. And uh, certainly The Go-Betweens were my favourite pop musicians, even though they never made it fabulously big. So that's going to go onto our playlist as Pat's creme de classic indie section. <laughs> Anna Smith, what have you chosen as the greatest record of all time? I've gone for Peace of My Heart, Janis Joplin. What an amazing singer. I mean, she is one of the best ever. And the reason I'm sounding slightly hoarse today is that I attempted to sing this at karaoke last <laughs> night. <laughs> this is going to be a sharp contrast with Camera Obscura and the go-betweens, what is going on the playlist as well. And with that, we're at the end of the podcast. And it's closing time chatter. What will we be discussing as we go off and form a 442 and hop off early and go and see Dirty Column? <laughs> Anna, what's your closing time chatter? Well, it has to be Will Smith slapping mm. Chris Rock at the Oscars. Mm. I was watching it live and I thought for a moment that it was a joke, that it was planned, mm-hmm. it was staged. It seemed so absurd. What worries me about this is that A, he stayed at the ceremony and apparently it's transpired, was asked to leave but refused, say the Academy. Oh, yeah. um, and B, everyone gave him a standing ovation when he won Best Actor. I mean, yes, Chris Rock is offensive. I've met him before. I wanted to slap him. But, mm. you know, you don't go on stage and do that, um, particularly pretending, you know, in, in, in the sort of name of protecting your wife, which to me seems very patronising and also potentially mm. dangerous to suggest that you're mm. protecting your family with your fists. And you don't go on stage and do that. A, a live show, which has been broadcast to millions of people around the world. I just think, and, and then everyone didn't know what to do. So they let him stay and then they stood up and clapped. And I, of course it was a great performance in King Richard, but how stupid of him to overshadow it with those actions. I mean, it did trigger something in the collective unconscious, didn't it? Why do you think these events need discussing as they do? Why do we need to pick this stuff apart? What gets to us about them? Well, it's a display of macho entitlement mm-hmm. to me. Um, and it's all the more um, unfortunate that it happened to someone who deserves to be celebrated because not enough you know, black men win Oscars, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Um and and it's so there's a lot of complicated issues going on around it, which I think people need to explore. And also yeah. his own, his own psyche. His father um, was violent with his mother, so there's a lot of complicated going right. things going on with him. Um, yeah. And so there's mental health there. There's how we process trauma. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of topics which I do think are important to discuss. Um, and I wouldn't just say cancel him or anything like that. Far from it. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's. Um, yeah, I, I think it's actually raised some interesting issues. And now everyone knows what alopecia is as well. Yeah, this is, I've loved doing the podcast today. And, and it's, it's been light when it's had to be light. And it's been serious and it's been in great depth. But in the midst of it, I was talking earlier on about standing up to listen to different things and different ideas. But we're on a part of culture now where certain alternative ideas are not even allowed to be discussed or else should be cancelled. And I'm finding this very, very difficult just now. No, it ain't going to last. Don't worry, anybody out there. We will move through this and we will get a more open society again. But it's a, I, f- I find it a very, a very difficult space to be in because I like to be open. I like to learn things. I like to go and, you know, find out anything about anything I want to find out about. And then if I disagree or dislike it, well, then I find out. But I was actually on a bus the other day. So here's the analogy, right? Can I give you the analogy? Mm-hmm. Go on then. 
in my book, I mentioned the fact that I used to, I loved the ballet, right? So I'd go to the ballet on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, and then I'd come in to drain the morning and think, can I tell these footballers that I was at the ballet? Because <laughs> they'll give me dogs abuse. And you know what they're going to say, right? And I didn't for a while. I hid it. And then I thought, sod that. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to tell them. Because there's nothing wrong with it, right? I was reading a book the other day, and I was in an airport, and I hid the cover because I knew the reaction it would get. And I've never done that before. And that, that's the sadness of where we are just now, that you can't even read a book to try and learn something. You almost had to hide the cover. So I'm not hiding it next time, okay? I'm just... Gonna... What is the book? Hang on, he's, he's reaching round the back of the table. It is uh, Woke Racism by John McWhorter. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, mm. Well, you've got, to challenge your, you've got to challenge your ideas. Yeah. And, I, and I, again, I've, I've never hidden a, hidden a, a, a work of art um, mm. in my life before. Even there's got plenty of stuff I've listened to that I don't like or I do like or agree with or I don't agree with. I've done it all. I've always thought I've been in a country where I'm allowed to read it. Mm. And I was reading it thinking, I'm going to get works here. <laughs> so um, I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm just going to <laughs> okay. stick. Andrew, what's your closing time chatter? Well, I just wanted to register the very sad death of Mira Calix, a.k.a. Chantal Passamonte, the uh, Warp Records recording artist. Uh, but I, I knew her primarily as Chantal from Warp. He used to send me records from Warp in the early 90s. She was a fantastic talent. She was a lovely, warm and imaginative person. Her music was really brave and it went to places where music had not gone before. She was prolific. She was a person who never lost faith in the idea that you can do something bizarre and people will get it. There's a lovely piece uh, about her in The Guardian by friend of the show Jude Rogers. And it contains a, an old quote from Mira Calix saying, art isn't just for our souls. People can handle it. Mm. And she was right. She did installations that uh, weren't just for the cognoscenti. They were for the passing general public, as well as her strange and unusual um, uh, mu music. She did stuff that existed in the real world in the community that somebody could encounter without expecting to and be moved by it. And it's very sad that she's gone. And I think we have to register that. I also wanted to mention the very sad death of uh, Tabby Diamond, uh, lead vocalist with the, the great reggae act, The Mighty Diamonds, who Pat will remember because John Peel used to play them all the time. Um, he was killed this week in a drive-by in Jamaica. He's age 67, as well as a, a horrible crime and a, a sad thing. It's almost like an act of vandalism that this guy, this fantastic talent, should just be mm, you know, mm. taken away for no good reason. There's very, very this moving video of him dancing and enjoying himself and just hanging out in the streets that was just taken on somebody's phone, you know, a few minutes before he was killed. And it, you just see it, it's heartbreaking. I, I love the Mighty Diamonds part. They were part of my introduction to reggae mm -hmm. and for this to happen. You know, it happens too often in, in the world of, of, of reggae music. And I want, just wanted to register that as well. And we're going to add them to the playlist, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to add a bit of Miracalix and a bit of Mighty Diamonds to the playlist. Fabulous. Sean, how about you? Um, I want to say let's fight the power. The lead mill in Sheffield has had an eviction notice served in it for next year. And um, this is obviously to the shock of many. Um, as we know, venues that host bands aren't just venues that host bands. They are where scenes are formed, there are people talk, record labels are invented, and then, you know, all sorts of ways in which the lateral way that culture permeates our life is within physical places where people meet. And you can't just say, but 
they could be better used as residential and make someone more money. You can't do that. The good thing is the Music Venue Trust is getting involved, I hope. They have put some stuff out about calling on the council to implement an asset of community value yeah. on the buildings that this can't Like you happen. do with pubs. Yeah. yeah, so there are some things that could happen to, to stop this. Um, but it is just so important to restate, and it is restating, it's repeating, that without build, it's build, you know, it's build it and they will come. It's why the Hacienda existed. You need to build physical spaces for people to be able to trade ideas. That's what we're all here for. Fingers crossed to keep the lead mill Yeah, I hope so. And that is the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. And thanks so much to Pat Nevin for joining us. It's been an honour and a pleasure. Nevin or Las Vegas. And (laughs) thank you also to Anna Smith for joining us on the Culture Bunker. I've had a great time. Thank you for having me. Don't miss Girls on Film podcast available on an app near you. Remember, listeners, you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlist. The link is in the show notes, which you can see on your app right now. From me, from Sean, from producers Alex Reese and Yelena Sofronievich, and from newcomer Elena Garatra. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Sean Pattenden and Andrew Harrison. The producers were Yelena Sofronievich and me. Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production.